As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com First time that's ever happened to me that because I literally walked in at three at five to three and thought, oh God, I really need to leave. <laughs> it was so out of nowhere. It'd been fine the minute before. Have you really never had to leave a live program on grounds of ill health? Um, I have. When I was, are we on? Are we doing the podcast? You are oh, I'm sorry. Yes, I mean you never know because I mean, we don't talk to each other unless we're being paid for it. Um, I. Um, I had to leave several times when I was in the early stages of pregnancy to have a dry retch. Okay. But then actually, yes. but lovely. I know, horrible. I was never actually sick, but I used to just all yeah. the time. Yeah. It's I used to have a bucket uh, underneath the desk on, yes. on the radio. Such an program. odd feeling, that, isn't it? It's really strange. Yeah. And, and also because you, I never wanted to make too big a deal of it because you kind of think, well, you know, it's I'm just pregnant, and then you think, no, that's really weird. There's no actually, just about it. Yeah, if you were sick, you were sick. Anyway, it's such a it's an odd feeling because it's nausea. But in my case, and everybody's different, it was nausea made substantially better by eating. And there's no other nausea like that, is there? No. Absolutely did you find none. Did you find a go-to cracker? Well, no. I just go to the Tesco's down the road. At the time, our local Tesco's had uh, a calf, and they used to do a very nice baked potato and cheese. And if I ate that at about 10.30 in the morning, that would see me through until lunch. Mm. The problem, I mean, this is why I put on four and a half stone in my first pregnancy and was like a human weeble. Yeah. <laughs> I found uh, I got completely and utterly addicted uh, to salt and pepper crackers and I could get through in my second pregnancy a whole jumbo double pack of salt and pepper crackers. and Because if I just ate them constantly... Like one, you know, one every After kind another, of yeah. five minutes, mm. it would stave off the sickness. And then I just got addicted to them. Yeah. yeah. Well, you've done ever so well. You went to the Priory and now you're out. <laughs> we shouldn't mock. Um, no, we actually, shouldn't I should mock. also say that Fee saved my uh, professional life today because she had uh, Emodium in her bag. I, I never leave her without it <laughs> no. now. Uh, Do you so, think you get to a certain age where you don't? I'll I'm stopping at Superdrug on the way. <laughs> yeah, I don't leave home without emodium and paracetamol mm. and, and a spare shopping bag. I've got a little shopper in my bag. Yes, I have, Jane. Okay, well, that's very, very sensible. <laughs> right, go. Um, we've just come in the studio partly because there was some high-octane marathon chat in the office <laughs> and Fee and I are a little bit jealous because we can't enter the chafing chamber of debate because we've got nothing to offer. <laughs> we, we are never, ever going to do do a marathon and some of the other folk are very yeah. much in that mix aren't they and i don't have a single supplementary question i can ask somebody about a marathon to which i will give the right reaction for the answer so even if i say to somebody 
what time did you run it in? Mm. I genuinely don't know when they say 17 and a half hours, yeah. whether I should go, that's amazing, well, darling. I, I really do appreciate that it's a colossal physical effort, but it's I'm a bit like you, sir. Um, but anyway, I am delighted for those folk who've done it and feel, uh, rightly, a, a huge sense of achievement. If anybody does want to know what it was like to run the three-kilometre Hereford Fun Run, I'm here to tell them uh, that it was hard. <laughs> Exceptionally hard, but I did it. <laughs> now, well done you. Well Thank done, you. lady. And I have the medal to prove it. Uh, can you bring it in? Because I don't know about you, Eve, but I don't believe she finished. Now, Cathy has sent an email and it's about Liverpool, but it's not very flattering, Jane. Can you cope with uh, this? I can. OK. Hello, both. I just had to write in response to the email you read out today where a listener questioned whether we should make the decision on behalf of our pets to get them neutered. Whilst living in Liverpool in the early 80s, and she stops to say, did we ever pass in the street, Jane, or perhaps in the Armadillo Tea Rooms or the Pyramid Club? Um, possibly the Armadillo Tea Rooms, but I never went to the Pyramid Club. OK. Cathy uh, goes on to say, I was horrified to witness a group of tomcats chasing, cornering and then, well, attacking a clearly terrified and cowering female cat on a neighbouring fire escape. Since then, I've been in no doubt that by neutering your pet, you're doing it a favour. Sex between cats or between dogs is really not like in the aristocrats or lady and the tramp. Well done, Fee. Brian and Barbara will have a much calmer life ahead. Yeah. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you, etc., etc., etc. And uh, I suppose I, uh, yeah, I agree with that. And we, we just wouldn't be able to keep dogs and cats as pets if we didn't neuter them. No, because we we'd be overrun with them. I mean, I understand that sort of very deep philosophical argument about whether or not we should do this to animals we choose to keep as domestic pets. But, I mean, Barry, I'm sorry, I don't know who Barry is, Brian, Barbara and Dora will all live on, knowing that they are free to roam without any sense of uh, approaching threat. Yeah, Um, and Brian is very, very happy without his balls, and mm. Barbara's making a very good recovery. I took the cone off today, this morning, and she did that wonderful... Oh, they love it, don't they? Freedom shake. Yes. Yes. Look at me, no longer (laughs) cone head. This is not officially a cat podcast, by the way. We need to make that clear. Uh, Oh, we talk about dogs too. (laughs) a danger of the whole of the whole concept just whiffing a little faint all too strongly of the old litter tray of life so yes we happen to have cats but let's move on let's talk about nuclear war instead and this is from maria (laughs) i've just listened to the episode with angela hartnett at the end of which you mentioned a book about the nuclear threat in the 1980s and the dodgy advice given to the public yes that's attack warning red which i'm still reading but actually is so terrifying i've had to just give up give up on it for a while and just give my brain a rest anyway at the time says maria i was at a secondary school in folkestone on the kent coast now nearby of course was the dungeness power station which was thought to be a possible target or source of explosion and i can remember we were given instructions on the action to take if the four minute warning was sounded basically it was to get under a table pulling other furniture around it if there was any time and i kid you not well there's plenty of time maria in four minutes isn't there good grief you could get under the table and find some other furniture you're quite interested in armageddon end of the world stuff though aren't you i've always been interested in it because i don't think we're it seems bizarre to me and it's never been fully explained why it was so much 
at the forefront of our minds and our cultural lives back in the 1980s and it's now disappeared from view despite the fact that i would argue we're no safer from the threat of nuclear war than we ever were but isn't that just because uh, we were in an astonishingly evil era of nuclear arms proliferation we were but are we genuine do you honestly feel that there are fewer shall we say eccentric men at the helm of countries than back then i don't no neither do i um, but i suppose i'm slightly comforted and i really don't want to tempt fate obviously by saying this well no one will hear it love because we won't be here <laughs> go on uh, that n- none of those deranged men ever have press the nuclear button no but it's it's more the sort of terrorist element people who might get hold and god i think there are some terrorists in power aren't there well I mean, yeah, you could know, argue that as well but yeah. um no, i just i i don't i'm more puzzled by why it's not front and center as it appeared to be so yeah. there's a really interesting chapter in the book it's by a woman called julie mcdowell about the bbc and um their role in all this and they had a film called the war game which was i think made in the 70s or perhaps very early 80s maybe even the 60s and it was deemed too shocking to be shown on television, so it never was. But it was available in selected cinemas for certain groups of people who might be needed in the event of a crisis. So councillors, council leaders, uh, fire fire brigade officials, police, people like that. And then there was Threads, which was the seminal BBC drama from the 1980s, only ever shown once on television yeah. because it was so terrifying. So I remember that being the huge, yeah. huge thing in my early television watching career. And we did get together to watch watch the ending of it you know it's a big big kind of build-up so isn't it interesting that we probably had quite a lot of our fear defined by drama Mm. in a way that because we just have so much drama around now I mean there's just an enormous great big genre of apocalypse drama isn't there that that just doesn't touch the sides well there's apocalypse drama but it doesn't really it doesn't actually confront what the reality of a nuclear war would be like no, and and most of it is is actually post apocalyptic, isn't yes, it's it? All it's set the survival. The, it's of set the, in the future, yeah. um, and we don't actually see what's led to this dystopian landscape yeah. in which they're living. But anyway. do you remember the advice? You know, if the alarm went off, that you got under a table. Well, that's what they just said. Yeah. Do you it's listen just, to the email? No, I, I was actually. It. I'm so sorry. I was actually just reading something else. Oh, I was practicing in my. I'm so sorry. I was practicing my pecan pronunciation. Well, get on with that. Let's move on to sorry. talk about nuts. Let's talk about nuts. Our go-to topic. Hello, Jane and Fee, uh, says Malika. Texan here. I just had to weigh in. The word pecan is derived from the general word for nut in Algonquin languages, and the closest English pronunciation is pecan. Plus, pecan can just sound gross. Love the podcast. So, I'm sorry, I did that wrong, didn't I? Because I didn't get the pronunciation right when I first said pecan. Pecan. I'm not going to be able to change that, Malika. I'm so sorry. I can't, you know, if I went, if I saw it on a restaurant menu, I would not be able to say I'd like a slice of your pecan pie. And you see, you're laughing, but that's how we're meant to say it. That's because you live in East London. <laughs> just, you just laugh at me living in East London. Um, people are still writing to us about um, parallel lives and their imaginings. And this is from New Mexico. So we've moved seamlessly from Texaco. Texaco? He's <laughs> showing your age. That's a garage. Is it? <laughs> Is it a garage? I think, well, it definitely was. Are there still Texaco garages? Why are we looking at Eve? No. Was, right. you, you would have stopped off late night I've to get some chocolates. Yeah, you bought a Ginster's pie at a Texaco garage <laughs> before now. Four argument. in the morning. Yes. 
<laughs> well, five more like I would have thought. Um, okay, six. this. Six, yeah, thank you. Uh, this is a New Mexico. Does any of that make sense? We 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 just heard from a listener in Texas. Now off to one in New Mexico. Hello, Kathleen. Um, I didn't meet the man who would become my husband until I was 38, so I'd got plenty of time to make a satisfying life on my own. Now, during the 20 years we were together, to my great sorrow, who died a few years ago, I regularly visited, imaginatively, what I thought of as my parallel other life. The other I might have had... The other I might have had as an unmarried person. Maybe I'd be teaching English in Argentina or living near my Italian cousins. My parallel life was lively, but not time-consuming, and much less troublesome than real life. It had no nostalgia and longing, but in a sort of healthy way, if that makes sense. These days, I'm lucky to get to spend time with a four-year-old, and I notice how seamlessly she moves between reality and imaginary. To her, they are distinct but entirely compatible. In children, we think imaginary friends and scenarios are signs of a healthy imagination and a rich inner life. Surely this can be no less true for adults. I think this is a really, really interesting email. I still have a parallel life, but now it's a version of the one I had with Tony alive in it. And I think that's really touching, Kathleen. And I'm sorry to hear about uh, Tony dying, but I, I, it sounds to me like you found a really... In constructive and in rather intriguing way of getting through and yeah. I, I think that's really interesting so isn't the brain wonderful in its yeah. coping mechanisms but also so interesting that i think um maybe some elements of the medical or psychological profession uh would would kind of decry having that very very vivid parallel mm. life i mean i don't know that for a fact but i'm just thinking maybe not everybody would see that as being healthy but of course you're right when you're a kid you can be made enormously happy to spend a whole day outside of your actual reality yeah. and you're thoroughly encouraged to do that so it's bonkers not to think in fact we, we really now we, we say it. oh isn't it sad that they don't play yes they have um, no imagination yeah and they when, don't dress up but i just think that's interesting children really young children do just go from the completely made up to the utterly real and we think it's lovely and they love it too and it's considered very healthy. Yeah, and we like joining them in their imaginary worlds, mm, don't we? Yeah. And then we get to a point where we say, stop, be real. Well, you say that. I was. We used to have to play a game, or I used to have to play a game called Head Teachers, in which I had to... Oh, come on, you must have loved that. No, but I wasn't the head teacher. Oh. I was the pupil. Oh, you uh, must have hated that. I did, I did hate that because <laughs> I'd have to wait outside, knock on the door and come in, and somebody aged about three... Would then would then tell me off, <laughs> yeah, well, and then I'd have to go out and that bear would, it. That wouldn't work, kids. <laughs> I can tell you that. No, quite. I was always a customer, so both a customer, yeah, yes, a customer. Okay. Yeah. So my my son, uh, in fact, I found a picture of this the other day. He went through one of those phases where he had uh, Bob the Builder toolkit on for about two yeah. years. Got up in the morning, put the toolkit put on. on. He'd yeah. go around the house doing odd jobs. So I'd have to be a customer. I'd have to phone him on my pretend phone. And ask him to do a job. Can bill me an extension today, please, love. <laughs> do do it quickly. Oh, yeah. it was wonderful times. Yeah. Wonderful times. They are actually very sweet times, aren't yeah. they? Yeah. Can we just do a quick one about Biden's age? Yes, good. I'm so, that's one I've got there, so Great. go for it. No, because then, No, no, you go for it, because then I've got an absolutely perfect one to go into our guest today. Okay, this is from Catherine. This time we're in Washington. We really want to set a big shout out to our listeners in the United States. We are global, although we're not in the UK. <laughs> 
keep that in. It is not ageist, says uh, Catherine, or discriminatory or even unkind to raise Biden's age. I'm a very centrist Democrat. I abhor the loud and distorting political fringes on both sides that our politics are currently enmeshed in. So much wasted time and energy, and it's just the most base in the gutter stuff I've ever seen in my life. I voted for Biden if only to keep Trump out, but he's 80. He is the most powerful leader on the planet. It's insanity and I think egotistical for him to run again. Age matters when you're in his territory for the obvious reasons. It's time for generational change. A smart, reasonable, energetic, public servant millennial is what we need to see us through this very unstable era, especially with the rapid advances of AI coming at us. At us. We desperately need someone who can see the larger picture of technological change across the entire world and harness it for the good of the public rich writ large. He is too old, his work is done, he kept Trump out. I mean, I, I don't think I could have put it any better myself. Um, fancy that fee, me thinking that. Uh, so, Catherine, thank you for that. And I think you've probably put into words there what a lot of people, what a lot of people yeah. think. I think that detail, actually, about just not really understanding the, the tech. The I mean, tech. I, I think that's an entirely reasonable point yep. to make. I mean, I'd make it about myself. Um, and I don't think it's, I don't, I'm not being funny uh, when I say that, frankly, I now found the world often too puzzling a place. And I do have to, you know, cliche coming, ask my kids for help. Yeah. So you definitely shouldn't be in positions of enormous power without having that digital native mindset. It's just a fact, isn't it? it is, I'm afraid yeah. it is a fact. And, and the very real uh, risks that countries like, China, Russia, North Korea. I mean, the problems just keep on coming at you. Yeah. What I don't understand, and perhaps some of our fantastic American listeners or global listeners will be able to answer this, I don't understand why why Biden is seen as the only person who can defeat Trump. Because surely if you put a young, dynamic, incredibly forward-thinking uber-Democrat mm. on the stand next to Trump, you say something that... Uh, words you know don't do justice to i mean just the vision would be i i would have thought much more powerful you would think so but i i mean you, you should why, say, well, yeah. so why isn't kamala harris running it's because she isn't popular enough so she's running as the vice presidential candidate because biden can't afford to dump her mm. because she ticks a number of boxes it's so crude that but i suspect it's true i suspect one of our listeners could do a better job though jane yes i think they could yeah anyway. okay so this is an email which i think you'll agree will go really beautifully into our guest today uh, it comes from sophie who says i don't want to get all woo woo about about this but it was pretty upsetting hearing you read the email from the person who felt really disappointed in her life and do you know what I hope that correspondent is heartened Jane by all of the people who've written in to say please don't feel like that because a lot of us are feeling like that too or you know we we just really hear you uh, I'll carry on with Sophie's email I feel mm. there's probably a lot we're missing in her story but I just wanted to share a small tip that I've used for the last 19 years running my own small business working on my own from home and with two boys to look after although I have a wife which is probably the key anyway it's not exactly groundbreaking but it does work being grateful and again I know this can sound trite but just to recognize what you have is really powerful being healthy today able to walk and enjoy the 
sunshine and the rain, not live in a war zone, have choices in the supermarket, have friends, family, support, a home to live in, delete, add as necessary. I go for a walk every morning and recite what I'm grateful for and it is really powerful. I'll send you some kefir grains. (laughs) Maybe not today. (laughs) (laughs) Sort of like a starter. It's the easiest thing in the world to make. Add a sound, though. I am not capable of adding a sound that would be broadcastable or even podcastable. Uh, Just add the starter to whole milk, leave on the draining board for two to three days, scrape off some of the starter, put it in a Tupperware and then put everything in the fridge. Uh, Love the show. Glad you're feeling better again. Well, unfortunately, Jane's not feeling great today, but hopefully she'll be all right tomorrow. Love, Sophie. So it is a really simple thing to say, but it's absolutely bang on. Yeah. And we interviewed... uh, woman today who I think says that in every single page of her book. Well, I think so too. Um, Can I say that's excellent production? Well done. Thank you. Uh, Sylvia Patterson was our guest today, music journalist. Um, She was a woman who got a job on the the magazine that just meant so much to me growing up, Smash Hits. If you're British and you're around my age, you will know just how significant Smash Hits was. It had humour, it had pin-ups, it had all the gossip. It had uh, When it first started, it had the song lyrics as well, so it was hugely helpful to those of us who couldn't always quite get what they were singing fee uh, and it came out every fortnight and I would be so much more buoyant in the week heading up to smash hits than I had been the week before true tragic but true uh, and then Sylvia who's from Perth in Scotland went on to write for magazines like Q and The Word and she'd already written one memoir which I loved called I'm Not With The Band but then she went through breast cancer during the pandemic and uh, she first noticed something uh, on her breast when she was I think in the shower which she'll go on to explain um, in 2019 at the age of 54 so she's written a book called Same Old Girl Staying Alive Stay sane and staying myself and the book is as much a tribute to her partner Simon and to her lifelong friends and to her love of music as it is in any way a memoir about breast cancer although it is I think the best book I've ever read that references breast cancer it's a story about aging and mortality friendship music and much more including her cancer now I told her I thought this book might be even better than her first memoir I'm not with the band that's extraordinary to hear. I'm very, very pleased about that. And um, can I just say, um, um, that's incredible that you would say that Smash Hits indeed was the greatest magazine it was. of all time. No, it was. Uh, <laughs> it was such a big part of my life. Do you agree? Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's the greatest regret of Jane's life that she didn't actually make it through. Yes, that you got the job. All right, arches, Sylvia. <laughs> OK, never mind. It's the only thing I'll ever have over you, Jane. The well, I don't thing. know about that, to be honest. Um, now, this is a book about breast cancer, But it's not just about breast cancer because it's about music and it's about great mates and how great they were to you. It's also about the pandemic as well. And it touches on elements of your family story about addiction as well. So there's an awful lot to get through. I I do think as a public service, we should talk about the breast cancer to start with and particularly about how you knew you had it, which is something I confess I didn't know about Paget's disease. Can you just explain what that is? Yes, exactly. That was something that I'd never even heard of before. Yeah. It was, um, I mean, many women out there, I'm sure, would relate to such a scenario. You're in the shower and you look down and you think, what's that? 
that's a bit strange. One's nipple is looking uh, like it has something wrong with it. Um, in my case, it was... I mean, I can't believe I'd never noticed it until it became actually that bad, to be honest. Um, or maybe it just erupted overnight. But anyway, it was scaly and weepy and all of those things. Like my nipple is definitely not right. It'll just be eczema. It'll just be a sports bra thing, blah, blah, mm. blah. I'll, and, and I did what we all do, and I, and I ignored it. Yeah. And I think, to be honest with you, I must have ignored it for at least a month. That's quite a long time. And then another couple of weeks went by and I thought, nah, I'm, going to, I'm, I'm, I'm doing that thing that you're told not to do and ignore it, so I'm going to do that. I'm going to be a grown-up here, I'm going to go to the doctor's, made an appointment, nothing for three weeks. Now, that's quite a long time to, to have gone past. Mm. Anyway, I go for the um, an original consultation. She has to then send me to a specialist. They will be looking for cancer. She didn't say anything about anything called Paget's disease. I looked it up. I noticed that, this was, that, that, that the examples that I could see online were exactly what it looked like on my body. So I wouldn't have been, you know, I was prepared myself and then went for a mammogram. And then um, the uh, radiographer looked me in the eyes and she, and she said, she saw I was starting to get upset and she said, it's a lot to take in. And no one had told me anything at that point. And I thought, right, she can see on her screen what I can't see. There's something there. Um, but the Paget's disease, which is entirely of the nipple, hope you're enjoying this, uh, uh, listeners, um, what was inside my um, breast that she could see was an actual tumour. Yeah. So the Paget's disease um, saved my life. Yeah. Well, because I, it was manifest on the outside. Sure. And I think that's really a really important message. So yep. if you are in the shower, and actually, of course, men get breast cancer too, we need yep. to say, if your nipple is in any way changed, do seek help and don't wait. Don't wait. It'll take you three weeks anyway to get an appointment. Just do it immediately. Is yeah, Paget's yeah. disease always a sign that you would have cancer or could you have it without it being... In any way, I think, a malignant force. I think the um, statistic was nine out of ten cases. That's a lot. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So just yeah, get yeah. it checked. I mean, yeah, I think yeah. I just think it's a, such an important message. Absolutely. Um, now, this the, the time at which you found that was what twenty nineteen. Is that right? Yes, autumn of twenty nineteen. Yeah. yeah. I mean, your timing, Sylvia, was absolutely terrible. Um, I do hope you know that. Uh, and by the summer of twenty twenty one, you'd been through yes elements of the pandemic, uh, chemotherapy, surgery, radiotherapy, surgery, and then more chemotherapy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you are, I have to say, very explicit in your in your account of what you went through. I mean, it does. I've never had chemotherapy. I've been so fortunate in my life with health, and it did strike me reading this just how brutal chemotherapy is. Well, do you know it's, that's partly why I thought, do you know what, you know, cancer is all around us. Every two minutes, someone is diagnosed with one element, one 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 version of it, I and mean, one one step, you know, one in every. Well, one in every seven women certainly will will have breast cancer specifically in their lifetime. That is one hell of a statistic, mm-hmm. isn't it? Um, and I thought to myself, do you know what? I mean, I've seen my father die from cancer. I've seen a really good friend of mine die from pancreatic cancer. I've known other women have breast cancer. But I don't actually know what chemotherapy did to them. I have no idea what being in the process now means, as I was told you're in the process now. And I thought, I have, I really, I'm so, I'm, I'm so naive to this. How, how can I be naive at this age when it's happening to me when I'm Sorry, I've how seen old it? were you? Just 54. Know. Right. Yep. Um, so I thought to myself, do you know what? Most cancer memoirs, if I can call it that, although as you say, it's, it's much more than that. Um, very, very tragically, it will, they, they will be written by the people who died. Yeah. But I was always told that I was treatable. So I think once you're told that you're treatable, then I thought to myself, well, if you're treatable, 
you're going to go through this process, but the chances are 75% of women, um, which is a significant majority, will actually survive this thing. And I didn't know that at the time. I, yeah. You hear the word and you think you're going to die. You think you're going to die. But when I started going through the process, I thought to myself, you know, some days were so bad, it just tips over into being funny, I'm afraid. It just does, because that's life. And your, you know, par- your partner, Simon, um, he saw you at your... Well, it's not, I'm not going to say worst, but at your most vulnerable. Both of those things, Both. I would say, okay. yes. <laughs> well, that's, that's very honest of you. And, and you are, uh, you're, you know, you're clear that, frankly, at times, he found it too much. He, he didn't really want to deal with it, or he didn't feel able to deal with it. I think that's probably fairer. There was only a couple of days, really, where he just looked absolutely forlorn, I think, because he just realised he couldn't actually do anything for me. But, of course, he was doing everything for yeah. me just by his very existence. Um, but there was just a couple of days where it was just the struggle. I just felt, you know, it's actually worse for the partners. I think in some I ways really it might did, be, yeah. I really did feel that quite quite a lot, actually. Um, because, I mean, everything he was trying to do, he, he tried to be because <laughs> my mouth had entirely disintegrated. With ulcers. And, and, yeah. and you have to be graphic about such things. It's partly what being in the process is about. So I just thought, I'm just going to have to go for it. And he would, because he's a great cook. And he made me gazpacho soup, which I could not, I could hardly get it to my lips because my mouth felt like it had had an entire wasp's nest flying around in there for, you know, for months or whatever. And because it was so painful to try and get through, um, I, I looked up what were the things that you actually should avoid at all costs with this particular um, uh, condition. And it was onions, tomatoes and garlic, which is entirely what was right, in that okay, soup. And I'm thinking, you poor, poor man, <laughs> you have got some delicious cold soup. That'll help with your sore mouth. Nice cold soup. I was crying in agony. You know? That's incredibly frustrating for anybody. But yeah, I mean, he was doing his best. Um, yes. you, you're also, you're pretty explicit too about, um, about constipation and about diarrhoea. I mean, you just, I, I think it's really important that people know that this is desperately tough on the body. Yes. And... I mean, you just went through hell, really. I mean, in, in truth, I, I mean, people don't need to hear me say this, but constipation is one of the worst things you can have, isn't it? Honestly, I had absolutely no idea that such a, such a scenario was possible. And I did think to myself, you know what, I'm going to write just about an entire chapter about this because because that particular day when I... And I, I'm telling you, I seriously thought this actually is going to kill me. Yeah. I'm going to survive this cancer and this is going to kill me because this thing is not coming out of me. And it was five and a half hours later and I had, I'd been on the phone to um, A&E, I'd been on the phone to... I mean, it was just, can somebody please try and help me? Because I was absolutely... I thought the rupture is coming. My the entire my entire bowel is going to absolutely just split apart. Poor Simon was sitting with head with, with actual headphones on at that point because I was yeah. screaming so much. I mean, I think after he... after he had sprinted to the chemists to, <laughs> to try and get me some laxatives. And from then on, you always kept a bumper pack of laxatives in in yes, the flat, I did. didn't you? Yeah. And this is to do with folks. Just in case you're wondering, for anybody out there who's ever um, in this situation, if you are given morphine for any of the dreadful diseases that might ever happen to you, make sure that you take laxatives because that's the problem. Morphine will do that to you. Um, uh, so, and, and the, the doctor should have told me that. And, um, and hence, that was a problem that she um, she eventually apologised to me for because it was uh, it's bad and it's avoidable. Yeah. <laughs> so how much do you think you would have been helped, Sylvia, if you had been able to read somebody else's very visceral account of cancer before you were struck by it yourself? I think enormously, to be honest, because I just, as I say, I'd never really been behind the, the blue curtain with anyone before who'd actually come out the other side of it. 
it is always the death scenario. And those books are very compelling and very moving. Clearly, of course they are, and they're very, very, you know, incredibly sad. And uh, But this is about, you know, if you, if you can just be patient, if you can get through these things. Now I know what the process is. Now I know what you'll what it means to be a little bit tired. Because you think, well, what, what does it mean? What does it mean when your hair starts to fall out? What is it like to have no eyebrows? What does it mean when your libido is on the floor? How does that, because that will test, that will test you. How does it feel? You know, I'm I had no idea what that was going to be about. I didn't know what a reconstruction was about. And that went really badly wrong as well. And I had to, in the end... I mean, the, I mean, my reconstruction, I called it the um, the mechanical chest because it absolutely was a contraption stuck to the front of my body and yeah. it really did start blowing up and blowing up. And I remember the day that I showed a photograph to my oldest pal, Ali, who kind of, she's threaded throughout the book because she's been, th- she's been there throughout my whole life. Um, I showed a photograph to her and honestly, she nearly burst a blood vessel in her eye with laughter. And I thought there is definitely a funny book in this if I get the tone right, because clearly people do die and it's not in any way funny. But if you live, then yeah. how can you survive it without thinking that these things are preposterous and you survive them? And it is at the base of so much humour in life anyway is, is the horror that we all have to face because something dreadful is coming for all of us. Oh, yeah. You know? Yes. And we have to find ways to get through it. But what you uh, do, you're so much at pains, and I I really praise you for this, for for emphasising how grateful we need to feel for health. Oh, absolutely. And and I don't think we are that grateful most of the time. We just, oh, yeah, of course I'm all right. And we moan about all kinds of inconsequential things. But all those days where you can enjoy just food and drink. I know. Just just love it, savour it. Enjoy the taste, the feel of it in your mouth. All of these things that you just couldn't do for a big, big chunk of time. Yes, exactly. There was no greater lesson that I really feel other than (laughs) that banal, ordinary, everyday, normal, really rather, sometimes rather boring life that we all take for granted is the only life that you you need. Mm, It's It's all that you need is just to wake up, you feel reasonably okay, do you have a roof over your head, uh, you know, do you have a support network somewhere along the line? Do you have people you can laugh with? It, hopefully there will be love somewhere in your life. Surely there is for most of us, wherever it's coming from. If you have the basics and they're solid basics and everything else is, you know, it's they, they, they are all the things that, that actually are the the beautiful sparkly bits, if you like, but the basics, once they start to be taken away from you, it's only then, how preposterous for all of us, that it's only then that we actually appreciate them for what they are. The the, the very ordinary stuff is the, the little, it's, it is the little things are the biggest things. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on, settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, Calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. 
Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com We are mid-conversation with our guest this afternoon, Sylvia Patterson, author of Same Old Girl, Staying Alive, Staying Sane, Staying Myself. Um, can we talk about your life in music journalism? Because at one point you say in the book, and it really saddened me, that you think music journalism is pretty much finished. Is that really what you think? Well, generationally speaking, for, um, for, 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 for my lot, um, there are... Do you know... Well, there aren't any mag. There aren't any. The print press magazines are done. Let's face it. There's heritage magazines that are left, and there's there, there's quite a few of them. Mm. Um, the broadsheets obviously have their own music journalists there. There are online things, um, online platforms, uh, and 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 the young will always love music. Of course, they will. Yeah. But how is anyone young now actually going to be to be paid for doing this for a living? It's definitely, you know. The young will, will always have to have their, you know, five side hustles sort of a, yeah. a situation because they're going to be writing for things online and that's not going to pay them a well, living. You've been you pretty know. clear yourself that you haven't made that much money from music journalism. No. Um, other than when I worked at Smash Hits. You know, I've been a freelancer now since uh, 1990 and it's, you know... Money was never. It, no one takes up music journalism because they because they're interested in the money. Mm. Um, but it's just much more difficult now that, than it even ever was. Um, it's funny, isn't it, that people don't? Because I used to treasure not just smash hits, but my copies of the Face, yeah, yeah. and then I read Q when I was a bit older, and I did read the Word for a while as well. And they're just not around anymore. So what is the difference? I mean, I used to sit there and fondle these magazines and gaze yeah. at, gaze at them for hours. Yeah, Fee's yeah. looking at me as though I'm a complete maniac. But I'm, <laughs> no, but I was just genuinely. <laughs> wondering uh, what is lost to the younger music fan through not having them because if you can find a really uh, wonderful lyrical description of a new band on just a different platform then you are still accessing somebody else's opinion aren't you you're still Mm. managing to find a place but what do you think has gone forever what's the magic that's gone forever it's the interest in, in in really words because everything's become so much more visual now. I mean, the, the absolute tsunami, and it really is coming into my inbox still of it, of new music. You know, obviously directed at the young, is enormous. It's mm. absolutely enormous. But where that's going isn't into anything that's tangible in our world as we used to understand it. It's going into TikTok. Yeah, it's going into all of these other areas where uh, you know a, a fourteen, fifteen year old. We're not expected to know. You know, what's happening on their phones most of the time. Why should we be nosing no. into their world? Um, at the same time, they can be, I mean, I met a 25-year-old a couple of months ago with his Neil Young T-shirt on. Um, you know, there's just, there's just, cause, because all, all of music is with us all of the time now. It's just, it's, of course it's unrecognisable to us. The young are still interested in music, but it's not at the centre of their culture anymore. The phone is and everything that it can do. Mm. And music is just one aspect of really the whole of entertainment culture to them. It's, it's just entirely different days, and of course it would be. So you were there at the right time. Um, tell us about some of the more bizarre encounters you had with the pop stars of the heyday of smash hits. 
Crikey. Um, and smash hits days, blimey. Oh, lovely Bros, bless them. Bros, yeah. <laughs> you spent time with Bros. Backstage with Bros. I'll never forget looking at, uh, I think it was um, I think it was his brother, Luke, Matt's brother, Luke, uh, confessed to me that they called Matt Pampers because, because he was so hopeless that he was unable to even, quite literally, make himself a cup of tea. Really? And I thought that was really rather marvellous. And quite revealing. <laughs> uh, and you interviewed um, Pete Doherty, um, who we were just checking up. He is still alive, uh, which He's is remarkable. I don't mean any disrespect, but um, the man really did punish himself, didn't he? He um, pushed the envelope, Jane. I think he, he? he yes. really did. And there was a, a really, really... There's good... an entire stationary cupboard, let's face it. <laughs> a bunch of rhymes. Um, <laughs> you see, that's the kind of review you don't get on TikTok, Sylvia. Yeah, that, that is. That exactly. is exactly the point. There's yeah. a great description in this book about you interviewing him whilst he um, smoked crack through a, I think it was a miniature Bailey's bottle. That's right, so it was sawn off Bailey's bottle. Um, that was for the Word magazine that, that, was you, that you yeah. remember too. Yeah. Um, I was rung up by the editor out of nowhere. I was on my couch, possibly watching some snooker. Peter Doherty is in Hackney, get in a car and go and meet him kind of thing. OK. Right. Um, met him in Hackney. He was um, quite dreamy and uh, let's say he was, he was in the methadone dream state, shall we say. Um, we got into one of, I think we got into, he had a Jaguar at the time, a really um, dilapidated old Jaguar. He wasn't driving, clearly. Anyway, went back to his flat in Hackney. He decided that we would do the interview while he was on his bed and I was sitting on his bed with him, a crumpled um, uh, purple duvet, as I recall, and his his home was, well, it was a crack den, let's face it, it was a crack den. There was young people around with no shoes on and we were because we were told to take our shoes off, so we were tiptoeing over needles. Um, but eventually, there we are, in, in, in his bed... And he decided he would he would get out his crack pipe. But there's nothing you can do about that when uh, a crack addict is going to start smoking crack in front of you. And it is the one and only time that um, I've ever actually uh, been interviewing someone while they're smoking crack. But I've never actually seen anybody smoke crack full stop. Before that. Okay. Mm. And the interview, you just left it, you just stayed silent, did you, for a couple of minutes? I don't know how long it takes. Yes, because it's, it's just like this huge rush will come over someone, as I could see. I mean, his eyes, because he has huge eyes and huge big eyelids. And his eyes, I could see his eyes moving underneath his lids, side to side, side to side, side to side. And then he woke up and everything was was hyper, um, was very heightened to him. He could hear things away in the distance and noise was really clear to him and, and he was really agitated and all of those things. I thought, it doesn't look much fun in the crackhead, no, to be yeah, honest. It doesn't, you know? doesn't actually You're sound like And then he got his guitar out and that was that. He was off singing and, and that and that was that. What happened the interview is not, not going too well here, do you know what I mean? It's like, Pete, maybe we'll just leave it for today. Well, it was good of you to turn up, Sylvia. <laughs> yeah. You were sent there and you went. <laughs> was it a very good snooker match you'd had to leave? What was the, what was the final score? Can't remember that one. No. Couldn't have been too good then. No. Couldn't have been a Ronnie. <laughs> oh, Ronnie. <laughs> That was Sylvia Patterson. And same old girl, staying alive, staying sane, staying myself is out tomorrow. And actually, I'm a big fan of audiobooks. Do you like an audiobook? No. Well, I'm a big fan of audiobooks. <laughs> and Sylvia was telling me that she reads the book um, on Audible and other places where you can get hold of audiobooks. And I think it would be a cracking thing to listen to, actually. She's got a beautiful voice. Oh, she has, uh, yeah. So I'm sure it will be. It's just a, it's a, a question of taste, isn't it? I just... I've, tried audiobooks Jane, a you lot I love them. 
I can't hold. I need to. I need to be able to see it on the page. I just can't. Yeah, I just okay. can't listen. Oh, I must admit, I never thought I would be an audio book person, but I, I so am, uh, and I'm just loving them. Anyway, um, actually, at the end of the interview, there, um, Sylvia was just remembering that occasion when she interviewed Pete Doherty, and I mean, drug addiction is no. It's an awful, awful thing. But I think to actually see it being played out right in front of you um, was just it must have been pretty horrifying. Well, as she outlined there so well. Anyway. Uh, Sylvia's book, well worth either reading or listening to, trust me. If you'd like to get in touch with the podcast, we are Jane and Fee at times.radio. We take any of your inner thoughts that you'd like to make, outer thoughts. We read every single email that comes in to the inbox. It's always lovely to hear from you. Uh, just to let you know, over the next couple of weeks, we've got some big things happening in this country. Oh, yeah. We have the Eurovision Song Contest. This uh, will enchant, enchant our Americans. Very much so. Yeah. Very much so. I think... Uh, that Eurovision uh, is turning into one of the great kind of events in our calendar, don't you? Yeah, it is. It was always uh, well celebrated, mm. possibly a bit niche and laughed at, mm. but now I think it's genuinely like, yeah, get Eurovision! Yay! Uh, and it's in Liverpool this year, but I wasn't going to mention that. Uh, and also the week before, um, of more historical significance, some people might say... <laughs> the coronation <laughs> of King Charles III. And so to our American audience and others, uh, we'll bring you all uh, the coronation tittle-tattle and more. And uh, we found out today that on the event itself, uh, we'll be required to report for duty perhaps a little earlier than we'd been anticipating. Fee's face was an absolute picture. So we are going to be in the pound... <laughs> From seven till four. Yep. And okay, let's not think about it. I always think it's better not to anticipate. <laughs> well, I'm just already thinking, uh, what, could, what snacks will I need? Hmm. We're also in a facility that, well, can we mention where we are? Yes, I've said it on air. Okay, so the Methodist... So the Methodist Hall. Yeah, now, the Methodists don't drink. And whilst they've been incredibly kind to allow us some balcony space on the big day, I think that might rule out alcohol. But you're not going to... When would you have your first tipple? Oh, I just think a little a small bottle of carver on the day would be all right. It's what the king would want. I am not going to operate with you if you've been drinking. <laughs> oh, no, I'm not. Because you had one sip of Kylie's carver. <laughs> you had a gulp of beefy Botham's Sauvignon What's-It or whatever and it I was. And I couldn't speak. And you couldn't speak, okay. lady. But I think something from the Dookie original range will be all right, won't it? No. Really? Sober as a judge or you're not coming. That's the coronation here on Times Radio on Saturday, May the 6th. But you're not listening to Times Radio, you're listening to Off Air, which is from the Times Radio stable. <laughs> OK. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Bye. Well done for getting to the end of another episode of Off Air with Jane Garvey and Fee Glover. Our Times Radio producer is Rosie Cutler and the podcast executive producer is Henry Tribe. And don't forget, there is even more of us every afternoon on Times Radio. It's Monday to Thursday, 3 till 5. You can pop us on when you're pottering around the house or heading out in the car on the school run. Or running a bank. Thank you for joining us and we hope you can join us again on Off Air very soon. Don't be so silly. Money go bang. I know, lady. A lady listener. I'm sorry.
VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com